Will you pray with me? Holy Spirit, we pray that you would illuminate our minds, illuminate our hearts, illuminate the words of Scripture that we might not just understand, but that we might take it to heart and let the words of Scripture change us. We pray these things in the name of Christ. Amen. We all knew that this was going to be a different kind of holiday season. Uh, starting with fewer family coming together at Thanksgiving, at least for most people. So this year, Cousin Tom wasn't there to annoy all the children and to provoke teeth clenching from all the rest of the family. I think we've all heard or even experienced what it's like to have one person in the family that is considered that uncle or that aunt or that cousin or that in-law, that one person that stands out as someone who politely, we can say, marches to the beat of a different drum, the one who has a very colorful political opinion, the one who wants to talk nonstop about certain weird hobbies that they have, the one who looks at their phone all night and never talks to anybody. Uh, the one who picks and eats their way through the morning, through everything that's laid out on the table, in the kitchen. And then when the time comes for the meal, they take sparingly and say they're watching their weight. The one who brings their own containers for leftovers, and then eats the last, although it's their third piece, a pumpkin pie. Now, not that I know anything about any of these, but I do feel quite passionate. What we try to do is we try to take their crazy and eccentric behaviors, and we try to take them in stride just to make it out of the family get-together without the police being called or being cornered for hours. Well, this text tonight tells us that even Jesus had that questionable relative, that questionable cousin, and his name was John. You'll remember that when Mary uh, arrived at her cousin Elizabeth's house, both of them pregnant, Mary pregnant with Jesus and Elizabeth pregnant with John, the scriptures tell us that when the baby came within a distance of the other baby, John recognized Jesus in the womb and leapt for joy. That right there tells you there's something very different and very special about John. It also lets us know that there is something about the relationship between the two that has significance and it has meaning. Let's go to our scriptures tonight. Mark doesn't start here. He goes ancient on us. He reaches back to the prophets, Isaiah and Malachi, to introduce us to the one that comes to prepare the way of Jesus. Our scripture is Mark 1, 1 through 8. The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in the prophet Isaiah, see, I am sending my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way, 
the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord and make his path straight. John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And people from the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him and were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. He proclaimed, the one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. The flower fades and the grass withers, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Mark begins his gospel like a breathless messenger who is eager and excited to make an unexpected announcement. He doesn't begin his story and let us linger around the, the manger, around the child that's been born. He doesn't allow us to do that like, like Matthew and Luke do in their nativity narratives. And he doesn't begin with a, a kind of a rarefied cerebral opening like John. In the beginning was the word. Instead, Mark begins with a brief fanfare, a, a brief fanfare that actually announces the very creed and heart of what we believe. The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The first confession, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He then launches into his story about another messenger, John the baptizer, locust-stuffed and honey-dripping, who bursts into the scene with his own story. But even before John's introduction, Mark uses the ancient text to prepare the way for the one who would prepare the way. Mark is preparing the way for John as John comes to prepare the way for Jesus. But even before John's introduction, Mark then goes back and introduces us to the ancient text. You see, the Jews were in a terrible situation. They were suffering in a position of poverty and oppression and cruelty under their Roman oppressors. To help the readers understand their suffering and to understand their situation, Mark is proclaiming Jesus. But to understand Jesus, he looks back to the scriptures of Israel. And I'll be quite honest with you, I'm not sure that we can fully or adequately ever understand the Christian faith unless we understand the Jewish roots that, they come, that it comes from. So much is laid out, so much ground is furrowed for us to understand Christ and to understand what God is up to in the New Testament through the Old Testament. Whatever we think God is 
doing in our world today or whatever we think God was doing in Jesus Christ will be consistent with what God was doing in Israel all along. It's a continuing story. Mark says the beginning of the gospel is just as Isaiah said. And it isn't that, that Isaiah is predicting John the Baptist, but Mark sees an analogy. He sees an analogy between Isaiah 43 and the preaching of John in verse 4 in the wilderness. Mark doesn't want his readers to get the wrong idea, however, and to think of this in a triumphalist good news, the kind of good news that maybe we hear sometimes in the Psalms, a triumphant army that, that comes in and takes over and says, we have vanquished the enemy, we have conquered the enemy, we have killed their families and and taken their land, and now it belongs to us, and we are the victors. That's not what Mark wants to betray. So he brings in into this, uh, into this prophecy of Isaiah, he brings in Malachi. He prefaces the quotation of Isaiah with one from Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. Malachi, like Isaiah, is looking forward to God's intervention. But unlike Isaiah, Malachi isn't talking about restoration of Israel. In Malachi 3, God's messenger clears the way by calling God's people into repentance. Mark sees an analogy between Malachi and Isaiah with John and John's message. Just as Malachi warned of God's judgment against the sins of Israel. So John is now preaching repentance for the forgiveness of sins. It also compels us to take a look and to understand that there is this sense of a reprimand, a holy and divine reprimand that sits within this particular gospel and harkens all the way back to the Old Testament and its reprimand. And that reprimand is this, we who look to God to deliver us from our enemies must first examine ourselves to see whether we are our own worst enemy and also whether we are fit to stand in the presence of a righteous God. Confession and repentance involve facing the truth about ourselves, and it also involves looking back into our history. Confession and repentance require a searching and a honest look back, and there are absolutely no shortcuts to this process. It's worth noting that John, the very one who insists on keeping the focus on the future and the one who is to come, he also reaches back into the past to call for repentance. And he does it by his representation of what he's wearing. It's the manner of his dress. I mean, his, his camel hair outfit was several centuries out of fashion. But it was exactly the kind of clothing that was worn by the prophet Elijah centuries before. 
and the retro clothing and the, and the prophet that's being recalled are themselves reminder that any movement forward will require a retrospective. Look back. What, whose shoulders have we climbed on? Whose backs have we, have we marched across? Whose feelings have we, have we just absolutely decimated? Whose spirits have we slaughtered? It, we have to look back both to our own histories and the salvation of God's history of people. Now, this is the very purpose of Advent. To prepare the way for Jesus to be reborn in our hearts every single year when we come around to this time of year. When some new heart will will receive Christ, some old heart will be revived and redeemed. Now, Advent, Advent is not a soft lens on the nativity scene. It is a reminder that the manger and the cross cannot be separated. That they are in the shadow of one another, and they're never very far apart. You know, there was a reason that God came to earth. There was a reason that God came to earth in Jesus. It was much more than yet another case of God hearing the cries of the people. It was much more than that. It wasn't just that God had been somewhere vacant and, and things had gotten so bad and suddenly God hears the cries of the people and comes down as it, as it was in Exodus. It's very different than that. It's, there's much more to this than a simple response by God. This is God being proactive. This is a divine invasion. This was God shattering the darkness that kept hold of humanity ever since time had begun. This was God setting fire to the world with the light and the power of the Holy Trinity. From the beginning of Mark's introduction of John, he does not lose sight of the fact that this darkness shattering, this fire setting, one who is coming, will be betrayed and will die. The manger and the cross are never far apart. And we must once again confront our own complacency in the face of this divine invasion. Do we have the urgency that John had? The urgency of the messenger who's eager with this unexpected and surprising announcement. Is our message urgent to even ourselves? Does the world need Jesus? Do we need Jesus? And just like in the ancient days of Isaiah and the ancient days of John, we have to face the fact that there are those among us and many out there who refuse to hear the good news and reject its truth and reject its demands. Even those who call themselves Christian are those among us, those of us who must confess and repent. There are those who view the gospel as a failure because they are still suffering and struggling in their lives. 
There are some whose rage and bitterness blind them to the fact that they have a choice of compassion and mercy over stinginess and revenge. There are some who simply refuse to forgive, even if it means they can never move forward and they can never be free. Maybe it's you and maybe it's me. There are some among us who read the Bible in self-justifying ways, ways that confirm our own prejudices or allow us to move forward with our own resentments, feeling of, of superiority and exclusiveness. We have to learn to read that same scripture self-critically. We have to allow the scriptures to correct us and to transform our very way of thinking and our, our perception of the people around us and our own worldviews. The Swiss theologian Karl Barth once said that the, it's only when the Bible grasps at us that it becomes the word of God. Mark teaches us to see God by looking to Jesus. But to understand Jesus correctly, Mark looks way back in the prophets of Israel and he sees them looking forward to anticipation of God's intervention. We're like those crowds sitting and listening to John, seeking a direction for our future. We look for God's definitive intervention to set things right. And when we look for that, this scripture tells us, as John points us towards Jesus who came so long ago and who is yet to come and yet to be born again. As in the past, Jesus may shock us when he shows up, may shock us when he shows us who we really are, and who we really are standing in front of God, we may be shocked. Our only hope is really to join with John in confessing our own brokenness and looking once again to the coming and the birth of Jesus once again in our hearts. Come, Lord Jesus, is our only hope. You know, we as Christians join together we join together around the world when we remember that Jesus is the way that John compelled us to follow. And we are reminded that this table of inclusion is a table of, a table of the past, the present, and the not yet. And we are also reminded that the saving death of a risen Savior is the coming of hope and peace and joy and love. And all are invited to this table. All are invited to participate. All are welcome. Will you join me in prayer? God of the ages, we come to you and ask that you bless 
these elements before us. Bless the elements that sit before all the people who are joining us from their homes today. Bless them with the knowledge that you are the bread that was broken and blessed and multiplied. And you are the drink that was poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Bless these elements, O oh God. We know that it's just bread and juice, but it's more than that. It's your presence in this moment that causes our hearts to pound and causes us such a great sense of your extreme and radical love for us as the one who shattered the darkness and lit the world on fire. We thank you, O oh God. And we pray these things in your name. Amen.